Hold the Line with Mike Solon is brought to you by the Seattle Police Officers Guild, Seattle's public safety voice. And so I get people all the time saying, don't, don't, you know, dive in the mud with, with the likes of, you know, NTK. And I'm like, hell no, I am absolutely going to get in the mud. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Not a fight. Hold the Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. In studio today, I've got a very special guest that I alluded to in the last podcast we launched. I have Brandy Cruz here, and she's going to uh, explore a lot of uh, public safety questions and answers, and, ex- and, and we'll go down that path. But stay tuned. Let's get into it. How are you doing? Good to see you. Good to be here. I walked in. I got, you guys have an espresso machine We here? do have an espresso, so courtesy of the fancy. members that pay into this. And- oh, thank you, members. <laughs> Absolutely. So what, you know, when I took office here, I was like, you know, we need this place more welcoming. And so uh, obviously after the fire bombs and all that, and I was like, well, we need a safer environment too. So we get this crazy fence structure around our place just to protect it. But I was like, we need more people around here. And um, to entice them, we just decided to roll out some more food and, and coffee and create an atmosphere where they're, they feel they can relax. Yeah, there's some couches and a TV that weren't there last time I was here. The fence is new, but I, I knew it had gone up when people try to burn your building down. Yeah. It's usually good to take some extra security well, measures. You came here when you were with Q13. I think even during all the unrest in 2020, yeah. we did that special and all the minority officers that are part of the union here that were getting probably the worst abuse of anybody on those lines. So, and I think that was credit to you. And we'll, we'll put a link in the description in this, but I, I think... You were, the, you were really the only local journalist that was able to kind of capture that conversation. And I was just curious as to, and that's what I admired about you, that you were willing to get into that mix when nobody else was, had the courage to do it. Well, it seemed like, and that was one of my favorite stories that we did during that whole craziness throughout the summer of 2020, because here you had these black officers who had opinions, strong opinions on obviously what was happening to them out on the line, but also uniform off as black Americans about what was happening in our country. And so um, one of the nice things about the platform I had at Q13, now Fox 13, and the show The Divide on Sundays is I think we aired like 25 minutes of that interview for people to see, which really took you inside the horrible abuse these black officers suffered um, at the hands of white protesters, you know, who said that they were there for racial justice, which just makes no sense, and some of the things said to them. Uh, But then also it showed this really personal side of how they, as uh, black Americans, were struggling with um, their profession and and, uh, what had happened to George Floyd. And so, yeah, I mean, that whole summer, and I know we'll get into it more, it became, and it was kind of the beginning of the end for me in this transition from mainstream media, straightforward journalism, to what I do now, into opinion, because the, the coverage, I would say, as a whole of the, the media in Seattle was so one-sided, and the things that they were refusing to talk about that were happening, you know, the firebombs and... Um, trying to lock officers inside the East Precinct, the refusal to treat those as egregious acts was stunning to me. Yeah, and I think you bring up a point as to, you know, I was going to talk about this later on, but I think it's appropriate. It's like we still haven't had any elected official that is still in office 
from those times as well that have con- condemned that. Yeah. Not one. Well, and then I loved how you fast forward a couple months and people know my politics now because I don't do journalism anymore. And I'm the first to admit that I do political opinion. I mean, I still do interviews that are journalistic in nature. But I would say that you are a journalist. You know what I mean? At my heart, at the core, you know, I spent 12 years as a journalist and I still um, guide myself by journalistic ethics when it comes to being factual, correcting errors, wanting to get and gather information. But then I give my opinion about it. Um, So I want, I always want to make sure people realize that, you know, yes, I'm a journalist at the core, but I am giving my opinion. And that's something we don't want folks on in mainstream media to do. Um, But, you know, during that whole summer and what happened at Chaz Chop and all all of that, I mean, it was just stunning to me. Um, The the lack of coverage and the lack of criticality and the lack of uh, a backbone for elected leaders to, to speak up about it. I mean, what, I kind of laughed at him. I was saying earlier, you, people know what my politics are. I'm a moderate independent, which is essentially right-wing in Seattle, apparently. Yeah. I get called right-wing like every day. Um, but, you know, I'm, I have planning to, I have a s- split ticket voting uh, in November. There's a couple Democrats who I plan to vote for. Uh, and so it was just funny to me how after the Chaz Chop happened and after the, you know, cementing of the door of the East Precinct and an attempt to light it on fire, you had the silence, Right. And then January 6th happened. And I think January 6th was a national embarrassment. Um, And I covered January 6th with the same vigor that I covered the riots and the unrest in Seattle. Because to me, I don't care what you're there protesting or rioting for. If you assaulted a cop, you belong in federal prison, in my opinion. If you committed acts of violence or vandalism, you belong in prison. And so it was interesting to me how, you know, the left exploded over January 6th, as every American should have been Mm -hmm. deeply disturbed by it. And then they would get angry at you if you dared point back to what happened in Seattle and said, but why didn't you say anything about this? Absolutely. They were like, that's that's whataboutism. It's like, no, I want you to be morally consistent. I'm not trying to say that January 6th was worse or not worse than what happened in Seattle, but the fact that you were silent about violence and vandalism for a period of four months, if not a little longer, and then for political reasons, you want to be angry about this. That's the kind of stuff that really gets me. Yeah, I, I appreciate you highlighting that because I think what it tells you, what it shows is that um, partisan politics is in every form of our life now. Yeah, and that's what we Every have. aspect of it. Every aspect. And we have three tenants on Undivided, which is the podcast that I host now. People Before Party, that's an, uh, an easy one. Ideas Before Identity, that means I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. Sure. I don't care the color of your skin. If you have a good idea, bring it to the table. And then the most important one is Actions Before Affiliation. And that's when you decide, I'm going to set my moral compass and I'm going to stay the course, and I'm going to judge someone based on their words and their actions without care or consideration for their political affiliation. That's how I guide myself. And also, you'll find that it becomes really easy when you always judge someone based on their actions and based on your moral compass and whether you think those actions are right or wrong. You never have to go back, and you'll never contradict yourself. Uh, Because like January 6th, for instance, when I was speaking out uh, in 2021 about everything that happened in Seattle during the riots, people would be like, well, what about January 6th? You never said anything. And I'd send them four or five com- blistering commentaries I did about January sure. 6th, and I would say, I'm morally consistent, are you? It's like, you know this in policing, it's like when you tell a lie, it's impossible to keep your lies straight. Right. But if you always tell the truth, it's very easy to keep your story straight. And I think it's the same thing with morality. If you just totally disregard people's politics and you judge them for their character and their actions, life becomes 10 times easier. Well, there you go. And that's the moderate approach that I think that I, 
we desperately need. Yeah. I mean, we're way too partisan. We were two different sides of the camps. But the fact that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll throw shade at the January 6th conversation, but yet not acknowledge the far left Antifa, you know, violence that impacted our, our nation, people, got people killed. To me, that, that, that's, that exemplifies how just hypocritical this conversation when people go to both camps, right? And I think you've done a great job. So, you, you know, you had The Divide, mm-hmm. which was a really interesting show. Yeah. Um, you're already apt to just gravitate towards the acknowledgement that we have this divide. But why did you change it to, you know, once you left local media, why'd you change it to the undivided? Was there a contract or a so copyright I issue? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. Even though, you know, the divide was my brainchild. It was something that I came to management with at Fox 13 um, during the 2016 presidential election, because I saw, like many Americans, this path we were going down of just complete unhinged division and, and just digging into our political factions. Uh, and so it was a little segment at first on social media, it then went into the newscast, and then it became a Sunday morning political program in 2019. And, you know, the divide was about bridging political divides and looking for even little slivers of common sense. Uh, And so when I left, I believed in that show so much. Uh, And I believed in the mission of the show, which made it very hard to to walk away from what I was doing. And so I knew I wanted to keep it something similar, not only for brand recognition, but because that was the mission that I'd started in 2016 that I wanted to continue. So I just tweaked the name to not get sued uh, but also, I like undivided better. You know, the divide well, that's is mission, the problem. Right? Undivided is the mission. Yeah, that's what you're trying, yeah. to, trying to accomplish, to get people together. Yeah, so and not, you have your three mission statements right. with the undivided that exactly. you just brought in, and they all sound very moderate. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. People who were fans of the divide will notice a, a big shift in the way that undivided works. And that is one that I include more opinion. I mean, I had a commentary I would end the divide with, but it was always like, you know, trying not to ruffle too many feathers. We ruffle feathers. And what I call undivided now is political commentary for the anti-fringe. And what I've dedicated myself to is an aggressive rejection of fringe ideologies. Because I just feel like, and this is something you've spoke to over the years, the the, the middle has been, and reasonable people, have been scared into silence. Because mm-hmm. it's terrifying in this city, i found, to speak up. They'll call you racist, they'll call you sexist, they'll call you classist, they'll tell you you hate homeless people, that you're a NIMBY. And for an average person who cares about the city, but isn't used to the hate that you and I are used to as an inherent part of our job, that is a really difficult proposition to face. The proposition of being labeled and vilified, of someone calling your employer, of someone um, doxing you on social media. And so I think the result of that is people just staying quiet and saying it's not worth it to speak up. And so what I've said is, you know what, I'm going to be hated anyway. And so I'm going to speak up and I'm going to speak up aggressively. And I'm going to be just as loud or louder than those fringe voices that have taken over the conversation. I will own it and I will fight. I I will fight it. It's funny because I get texts. (laughs) This is why she's leading from the front. This is also why I'm like, aging very rapidly because <laughs> it's stressful yeah. and i got just yesterday there was as there always is you know um the angry uh twitterati seattle twitterati coming after me it's for fantastic just crazy reasons and i'll get my uh rationally thinking friends who won't say anything on social media because they're functioning adults and they don't want any part of that yeah. but they'll text me and say how do you deal with it i don't know how are you are you okay is the text i get all the time 
I'd be like, oh, I'm great. And I had a friend, um, I worked with this person at Fox 13, and I won't say who it is because I'm not going to bring her into the conversation. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, she said, how do, you, how do you deal with it? And I said, I just remember that I have wonderful friends like you who know exactly who I am. And then it doesn't bother me. Uh, and, and, and that's the truth is that the people who I care about uh, know who I am. They know my character. Uh, and so I weigh that against people on Twitter who think they know who I am, and it doesn't even compete. Yeah, I mean, th- th- therefore, you've taken the moral high ground Yeah, because you believe in it so much. Therefore, that stuff doesn't really impact you. In fact, you use it. I do. I'm not going to speak no. for you. I'm sorry. I use it for my energy. Oh, yeah. I really do. I was like, I, I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and I just I swallow it in. But there's been some rough moments, I got to be honest with yeah. you. You know, it's, it's, it's not great when you're trying to lead by example. Um, you know, and then you got people just completely throwing shade. Right. And you have a job to do as well that you're bound by. You know, you can't, just as an example, and I don't know if I have any specific ones that come to mind, but you might have, you know, people hating on an officer for something they did. And your job is the the president of the union, I try to protect you them. know, and, and you do have an obligation in that role to um, offer them counsel, to, to protect them in a certain sense. And so I think people confuse that and think you're just going to join them in their pile on hatred of this officer when you have a job to do. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it as well. Yeah, you brought up a good point. And I think that what that gets to, and I like the way this conversation is evolving here, um, we have to be reasonable as yeah. a union. And I think that's the unreasonable people and, and that have painted us as being just complete lunatics that will just cover up for bad cops. That's not really the case. But they don't want to talk about that. Like, um, you know, we have checks and balances here when somebody gets into trouble, per se. And the civilian-led accountability system does their job and holds the officer accountable. And the chief either agrees or disagrees. More often than not, agrees with civilian-led OPA. It's very difficult for them to over overturn a civilian OPA decision. Um, but our checks and balances within the union, if somebody wants to appeal that decision... Well, they have to approach the board of directors here and then state their case. And it's our board determines looking at the case file, the politics behind it, um, what was missed. Um, and we determine whether or not that appeal needs to be approved. And more often than not, we're moderate, very reasonable. Because we can't come across as being unreasonable and always appealing things when in, they've, on its face, violated policy that could violate public trust. Yeah, Because we're police officers, we're professionals. What we do feel is that the system here, more often than not, is, 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 is stacked against the officer in terms of the accountability conversation. And I'm proud to say that in the past two years, we've had a 70% drop in discipline appeals from this union because the civilian director at the time was reasonable. Mm-hmm. And we could work with them and say, well, okay, they did a thorough investigation and your case doesn't warrant... Uh, the affirmation of an appeal, yeah, right? Did it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I think that gets to the conversation. You've, I've noticed lately, and I, th- I love it. Maybe I missed it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're using reasonable and unreasonable language, and I've been using that for a while. And I think that really captures what we're up against, what society's up against. You want to just expand on that? What, what, why those two words? Why are, why are they important? Well, maybe I stole it from you subconsciously. I don't know, but for me, it's. What I realized over the years in doing this mission of mine, which I call to give common sense a comeback, and I know people's definition of common sense is different, but we all know who we're talking about. We all know who has sense and who's reasonable. What I've realized over the years, and I have friends from 
Shamasawan supporters to Trump supporters across the political spectrum. Friends. Friends. Who I love them all. I've been able to have reasonable conversations with them all about politics, and I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump. I've been very vocal about that. I think it's clear I'm not a supporter of Shama Sawant, although she and I have always have pleasant interactions. Um, we've you know chatted about her love of her dogs and you know mundane stuff like that. And so you know um, I know that might surprise people, but I've always enjoyed our conversations. Um, and so what I've realized is that you know, we have this huge divisive society we're living in that gets worse and worse by the day. But it's not a divide between Democrats and Republicans, as some people would have you believe. It's a divide between the reasonable and unreasonable. Because there are common sense individuals across the political spectrum. What I always try to remind myself is people arrive at their political beliefs based on a collection of life experiences. And I think most people arrive at their political beliefs in an honest way. Uh, And there are people who, if you sit down and you talk to them, they might be total flip side of you. But if you hear their story, you can kind of understand, okay, here's where they came from. And they'll listen, here's here's how I got to this point. And so when I talk about common sense, I don't think there's a party that has the market cornered on common sense. And I think you can be reasonable um, and support what some people would consider fringe policies, but come from an honest place in that support and be, be willing to really consider and weigh the pros and cons and the consequences of those policies. I'll use police defunding as an example. I would love to get to a point where we could defund the police department. Great, you'd show me that, that society that exists where we, don't, we can take money from our police department. Because it's not Seattle. And so I, you know, if in a perfect world, um, a utopia, would I support police defunding? Yeah, if you show me a society where there's no rapes and there's no murders and there's not widespread property damage, that's great. Um, and I've talked to people who support police defunding but realize that now is not the time, that are, we're not in a position, and they haven't done the work from the bottom up to revamp a system that can reduce crime rates. So that's a reasonable person to me who's willing to have that conversation. Acknowledge that, Acknowledge that, that's that not we're not there right yet, now. right? No, that's good. And so I think when you take away this Republican versus Democrat and you look at it as reasonable versus unreasonable, I think it takes away the division and um, gives people an opportunity to sort of just talk to each other like real humans. That's a great ex- explanation of, of using those two words. In essence, it captures the undivided, doesn't it? Yeah. They're, they're perfect words. Well, credit to you for acknowledging that. And I think it's great. You've got friends from both sides. Do right? you? I do, actually. Yeah. My parents. Oh, that's a good one. Family's always tough. Right. Family's tough because, mm-hmm. you know, I've got brothers and you know, we've had those political conversations, and I, I think I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I, I, I'm a moderate person, was raised Democrat, yeah. right? But I think when you get in this profession, you see what works and what doesn't work, right? And you tend to lean more towards the right per se. But obviously, I have a membership that swings left, swings right, in the middle. I would say I'm moderate to right, right? Yeah. And I'm comfortable saying that, and I've grown up that way. I remember when I first moved here, and did the job. I was working with a partner at the time. I think the, the election was going on. I was Bush. And uh, I was like, yeah, I th- think I'm going to vote for the Democrat. He said, what? <laughs> and this guy had been on for a while. Mm-hmm. So I was ostracized immediately. Yeah. But, you know, as you evolve, you learn. So it's interesting. Uh, you you mentioned just you, you gauge your political affiliations. And I think that's what you kind of said with the experience that you're given or you learn. Right. Right? Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. So that gets me into... You know, the journalism conversation. You said you're not a journalist anymore. Why do you feel 
my, I'll back up. My perception of journalism is that they are engaging in hyperpartisan politics with their coverage. Yeah. I just heard today that the Gallup just re- re- released a poll that the first time ever um, people are choosing not to consume media and they don't trust more often than not mainstream journalism. So I think the experience you had with getting into that arena earning the dollars to put food on your table, get a house, what have you, have a life. But then you start to see how your ideology evolves and then how you're limited in what you want to do. Yeah. And that job limits you. So you want to expand on that, like what, what you view the journalism being, where it's going, Yeah, why is in the condition that it's in, and why are platforms such as the Undivided, why are they spawning up, in uh, spawning in, in such a, fast pace ton of them well i'll give a little context as to why i left my job and i think it kind of answers the question and it's not one thing it wasn't like one moment because i was as mainstream as journalists get i spent 12 years as a mainstream journalist in seattle the first three years covering crime and justice for cairo news radio the Mm -hmm. cbs radio affiliate and then i just put more makeup on and did tv at fox 13 and then transitioned into politics during the 2016 presidential election and i was you know moderating uh, gubernatorial debates i was doing all the i won an emmy i have like nine murrows so I, I want to put that in context. Nine I've got nine or yes nine That's i was thinking pretty cool. thank you but it's so funny Edward how Murrow. Edward R. Murrow Awards, yes. It's so, it's so funny how the second I transition into commentary, people are like, she's a terrible journalist. It's like, actually, I think I was a pretty good journalist, you know? So I was as mainstream as mainstream comes. It's not like I felt out of my skin in that arena. And around the time uh, the pandemic started, in fact, I was talking to my agent about looking to go to the network or one of the networks and deciding where do I want to go from here? I feel like I've been in Seattle You're talking national enough. networks? Like a national network okay. and kind of looking at what are the opportunities. But, you know, there are a combination of things that led to my decision to walk away. And it really started in earnest during the pandemic. In my opinion, there was never a time built for a free press like that in our lifetime, where you have government at all levels that are exerting profound power over people's lives, local jurisdictions, county jurisdictions, state, federal. And it's like, this is the time for the free press to question every single thing that's happening. Now, I wasn't I didn't believe that COVID was a hoax. You know, I was a good girl. I got my vaccine. But when you have um, government officials who have declared states of emergency, who have near unilateral power to put someone out of work, um, to make health decisions that are going to keep people away from their dying loved ones, it's like the press has to question everything. And I found this environment where the media, and not everybody, but a lot of them, we're just sort of accepting everything that came. Like, oh, this is an emergency. Let's just accept that what they're doing is is appropriate. Um, and I was really, really caught off guard by that. The fact um, that nobody was questioning. Well, it's like you can you can agree with it, it personally and want to be in a little turtle shell in your house, but you have to understand when I, I was in a situation. There's this. Um, is it called Il Pisano? I'm going to give this. Great Italian restaurant in North Bend, a little free commercial. We'll put a link in the description. Yes. I, I expect a cut of the revenue. No, it's this <laughs> awesome little Italian place in North Bend. And they've got like six tables, right? So they're not making money hand over fist there. And of course, you know, they were shut down when everybody was shut down. But when we were allowed to go in with our masks, there's this table that's in this it's no bigger than this office, this restaurant. There's this table that's three feet into the door. And I've always found this table to be awkward because it's like 
you walk in and it's right there. You get all the cold air. Right. The people yeah. hovering over your table. So we had to wear our masks to walk in and get seated at that table that was three feet into the restaurant and then take them off to eat. And it's like, for the love of God, journalists, you have to question. Right. The, the sense in that. It's devoid of common Like, sense. I know we're not doctors, but let's use our noggins, right? So it was things like that. And we had anchors who, and I won't name names, but I was sending a lot of emails to our team during the pandemic saying, please stop telling people to get the vaccine. Please stop shaming people on air about getting the vaccine. Did that cause you, I'm going to interrupt, did that cause you problems internally? No, no. I like to think that I had a lot of respect in the newsroom for my journalistic okay. integrity. And basically what I told him is, Offer people the best available advice. Don't tell people not to get it. Mm-hmm. But we're not doctors. And it's it's going to turn people off, and it's not our role. Tell people what the doctors are saying, what the health department is saying. But we'd have anchors who would, you know, kind of riff and be like, I don't understand why people don't want to get it. It's easy. It takes a second. It's, you know, and it's like, that's just, it, it gave me weird vibes. And so I was sending a lot of emails like that. So my disappointment in the direction of mainstream media really started in earnest during the pandemic and then just intensified in the summer of 2020. Sure. The horrible coverage of, of the riots. I mean, you know everything I went through during, during those. Ish. You know, my security guard uh, disarming rioters of stolen police rifles. That made international news. He was a stud, and I cowered behind a potted plant while he did it. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that. I was on the phone to 911. Well, that's his job, right? I Do called 911, too. I was on the phone because this guy shot one of the rifles back into a police car, and I was... Um, obviously, I'm like, well, now I have to call 911. Sure. And now we have these rifles, and he's you know, um, taking them apart. But anyway, and then our crew getting mobbed and chopped. I remember that. And, you know, the thing about that is... That, that was scary. It was terrifying. If you've watched the live video, you can hear me crying at the end, and I don't cry easily. Uh, it was a terrifying experience, and, you know, one of the things that bothered me after that is none of the mainstream media stuck up for us. And it's like, I had it every opportunity when... You know, Trump supporters assaulted the media when they knocked over their cameras and things across the country. I'd say something about it. Every time a journalist was assaulted and I found out about it, I'd always say something about it. And it was like they either didn't want to vilify this crowd, peaceful protesters, who had just done this to us, or they didn't want to stand up for a blonde white lady who worked for Fox, who they didn't like, who they thought was on the right. And I was so disgusted by that that I just... It was like I realized that I didn't belong anymore. Yeah, you felt Um, out of the group. I did. And it's like I've been morally consistent every time and stuck up for all of you when these things have happened. And it's like there was a few who sent out tweets, but no news coverage of it. And there had been a um, Trump anti-lockdown protester who pepper sprayed uh, reporters down in Olympia. Every station did a story about that, as they should. And it's like, but then silence when we were mobbed for 30 minutes and had to seek refuge in a fire station. At one point on that video, you can hear me telling the protester, the girl who's screaming in my face that I'm pregnant. I wasn't, but I was thinking at that time I had a 24-year-old photographer. I was like, let me just make up that I'm pregnant so hopefully they leave us alone. And they didn't. It made no difference. And in fact, later on, they called me a liar on social media for daring to lie about being pregnant while I was in this terrible situation. So it's just, you know, I started to realize I felt kind of on the outside. And then there were some um, other weird things that happened. You know, Fox management took over um, and we were so short staffed as newsrooms were, you know, across the country. And this was in the fall of 2021. And they put the divide on a hiatus, 
which was fine. I kind of looked at it as a vacation. I wasn't happy about it, but I was promised it was going to come back. Is it because they couldn't, you, you couldn't have enough people to produce your show? Well, so they did it to Washington's Most Wanted and The Divide because they only had enough staff to do the newscasts. Okay. Like we were, and I, I do not disagree with that. We were so short-staffed. We'd lost it. like 20 newsroom employees during the pandemic, which is a ton in local news. Uh, and so we were having trouble just doing the newscasts that we had to do. So they were like, anything that's not the newscasts, mm-hmm. we're giving a hiatus to. So that was the divide in Washington's most wanted. And people lost it. I mean, they got so many emails. And so one day they said, hey, you know, we want to bring the show back. We made an announcement it was coming back. And then because of some disagreements I had with them about um, changes they wanted to make to the show, the show got canceled. And we weren't going to go forward because I wasn't comfortable with the changes. I kind of had it out with them about it. Um, and the show wasn't going to go forward. And that's when I realized, you know what, um, to do what I think I need to do to accomplish the mission I think I want to accomplish, which is trying to bring common sense back into the media and to politics, I might be better off just doing this by myself. So I spent the next month, you know, convincing my agent that it was fine, you know, because yeah. I quit right after the uh, election and convincing my boyfriend at the time, now fiance, and he was so great. Congratulations. He's like, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he was so great. He's like, if this flops, I've got you. We'll be fine. So it was really this kind of just coming to terms with the fact that, because I've been public about this, because I, um, I don't work there anymore, that I made great money at Fox, probably more than 99% of TV people in the market. And, you know, that was hard to walk away from. I mean, I grew up poor. And so the fact that I was making like 200 grand in TV was like, in local TV. It's significant. It's, it's significant. I realized that, but I, I worked hard for that. You know, I mm-hmm. worked like 80 hours a week. Um, and so leaving that, the decision to leave that and to try this independent podcast was terrifying. Um, but it was just, it felt like to me, if I believe in the mission that we've been trying to achieve for the last six years through the divide, I don't think I can continue it here in this current environment. And so we made that decision and launched and it's actually coming up on a year and I don't regret it for a second. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think it shows your leadership and the uh, courage. Not many people have the courage to leave a well-paid paying job Yeah, and then maybe suppress their morals to just keep on getting that paycheck. I mean, yeah. that, to me, that shows leadership and I, 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 I have a lot of admiration for you. So thank you for doing that. I mean, that's pretty cool if we all could take some of that i think guidance maybe we'd be better off when i laugh at um you know nicole thomas kennedy and the sort of very far left bloggers in town call it a grift that i'm running a grift with the undivided podcast it's like that's the worst grift ever to leave a job for more for less money and more work what exactly is the grift uh, side of that because I haven't the, figured it out yet. That, that's the that's the unreasonable activist oh, mindset that isn't just crazy. is devoid of common sense. You know what's funny about that? Yes, and I've never said this publicly, but during the pandemic, I made uh, one-time donations to some of my biggest hater bloggers, uh, to the Erica C. Barnett blog. Oh yeah, okay. um, to the cap is it the Capitol Hill? Um, what's the Capitol Hill blog? Is it that's what it's called? Yeah, I know you're I talking it, about. And maybe and a couple others. Because I believe, as much as they're nasty to me, I believe that diversity of thought in the media is a is an awesome thing. I really do. And so I made those little, you know, one-time donations to them and some other media organizations. Cause I knew even I was at Fox at the time how hard it must be as an independent journalist to be working during the pandemic sure. and relying on that. And so I just laugh when it's like, you know, I appreciate the work. I don't call what they do a grift. 
I think that some of that, that the work they do is very um, damaging to it's the dangerous. state of Seattle. I think it's very far left, but I don't call their work a grift. In fact, I supported it financially. Well, it, well, I think that's great, but it, it's, it's, it's freedom of speech. It's why we right. have the country that we have. But exactly. those types of people are the ones that want to cancel your mindset, your view yeah. on it. And you know why? They see it catching on. And I love this. They are so terrified about losing. And also, they don't have any like folks on the left in Seattle who are really, how do I put this, who really are personalities that people gravitate to. I think it bothers them. Yeah. And you have, you know, a, a media ecosystem that is flush with progressive voices. But you only have a few voices that the right really trust. And so naturally, they're going to become a little more prominent. Mm-hmm. And it bothers the hell out of the other that's ones. A great, that's a that, great. I had never heard anybody yeah. analyze it that way. I, mean, that's I, I would the, actually agree with you That's on that. the only way that you can explain that level of jealousy. You know, uh, Erica Barnett was taking shots at me today because I, um, one of the sponsors of our podcast is an organization called Future 42, mm-hmm. which I announced publicly. We put out this big video because I do commentary now. I work for myself. Sure. I, I can have any sponsor that I want uh, it doesn't bother me. Now, would I have that sponsor if I was in mainstream media? Of course not. I wouldn't have a political organization sponsor my podcast. But mm-hmm. uh, the organization and I are very aligned in our mission and our value set. And so we're teaming up to try to bring common sense back to the state of Washington. I love it. But of course, you know, the Erica Barnett types, they want to paint it as um, like dark, dark right wing money. Of course. And it's like, if that was dark right wing money, I wouldn't, if I was being funded by dark right wing money, I wouldn't tweet about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. And so it just cracks me up, just the level of anger they have that the podcast is doing well. And, you know, Erica's, um, what is her, uh, what is her blog called? Publicola. Mm-hmm. You know, we tripled her number of subscribers on Patreon in the first week. And I'm sure that hurts a little bit, but it shows that common sense sells better than the right wing blind hatred um and the sooner they learn that maybe they can do a little bit better in their endeavors well, it, it's classic and then we'll put the the link here is that you know you engage in a twitter battle with ntk yesterday or mm-hmm. on the 17th it's leaving my job for less money and more work equals worst grift ever <laughs> it does. awesome it does. gosh you're just trolling them yeah. go back to losing elections ntk you're better than that better at that well it, that, that, that it's great because you're putting the energy that they try to you know, hit your character with back on them. It's like you're not gonna you're not gonna cower with no. these people. Well, and that's when I go back to our conversation at the beginning. Is we the middle, the common sense middle, has to be brave, and they have to try to be louder than the fringes. And the Seattle City Council meetings are a good example. You know, you had Shama Sawant's posse of like thirty people packing the meetings with their signs, signing up for testimonies. They were the only voice heard when they represent such a small fraction of the city's electorate. But they're the ones who can go to a city Mm -hmm. council meeting in the middle of the day on a weekday. No job. You know, and I don't know if they have no job, but they have certainly more flexibility in their job. And so, you know, that's what, then it becomes this just never ending echo chamber that leads to some of these disastrous policies. There's no backstop for bad ideas. And so I get people all the time saying, don't, don't, you know, dive in the mud with, with the likes of, you know, NTK. And I'm like, hell no, I am absolutely going to get in the mud because I'm going to be the voice for all the regular people who are, have, you know, jobs and families Mm -hmm. who don't want to get in the mud because they can't risk it. I can risk it. And I'll, I'll get in the mud with them every single day for the rest of my life if I have to. Well, number one, it's fun. Yeah. It is. And mud wrestling. Everybody loves mud wrestling. It's, right? it's, <laughs> movie Stripes. Great movie. 
I don't know if anybody would pay to watch NTK and I mud wrestle. I think we're getting I think we're getting a little off From the rails. Politics to moderate to mud wrestling. Hold the line. Oh, uh, it's good. But no, I it, yeah, I credit you know because I, I have a Twitter handle, but I, I stopped tweeting. I'm just like this is a cesspool. It's so bad. It's so, it's so bad, bad. But I love engaging with these people. But to, to what end? I think you yeah. know. But you do have to the ones that are kind of built up by their mm-hmm. crowd as being their voice. You have to engage with them because you have to show them how devoid of reason they are. We well, have to take away the power of their labels too, and I think that's yeah. that's really what I'm trying to do. Once right. they once their labels don't work and don't bother people, they genuinely have nothing. So the reason that all it's this cancel culture too. Yeah, if you don't agree to get canceled, you won't be canceled. Right, and. Um, the reason all this latest Twitter kerfuffle started is on uh, this past week, I had a dinner, a formal, nice dinner in Bellevue with some of the people who um, helped uh, to support the podcast at the beginning. We have something called a presidential patron, and it's like $250 a month. And so we took some of them out. Uh, and also some po- folks who have just been like, like my sister came up from Miami, and she's been working behind the scenes, just helping me with everything. And um, so I took them out for a nice dinner just to thank them and talk about the direction of the show and where we're going to go from here. And I tweeted out a picture of it. And immediate, and I, this was like this honest moment of gratitude for me because it's, it's hard to describe the feeling when, you know, you take a leap and strangers catch you. Like that is the best feeling I've ever had because in my life. Because they believe in you. Because they will, but they, you know, they say, I'm going to take a risk on you. I'm going to give you my hard earned money, whether it's $5 a month or $250 a month. And I believe in the mission. And so this was a very, this was a post about gratitude. And I post a picture of all of us at dinner. And immediately the Twitter storm was, oh, everybody in the picture except one person's white. And so God. immediately it became that I was like, that it's a podcast for white people, that I'm racist. Sure. And so that's why I told NTK, you know, your labels don't work on me. You know, this is like, and so that's where this whole thing started. And it just shows the ridiculousness right? That I can't show gratitude for a handful of people who subscribe to my podcast, who've helped me in this huge journey in life without being racist. And it's like, okay, if we can't just say that those labels don't mean anything, Mm -hmm. then where are we going to get? So I'm not going to kowtow to that. And I always tell my sponsors too, it's like, if you want to be a sponsor on the podcast, your skin has to be thick, 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 because they will come after you hundred percent. Fantastic. I, I love that mindset. Um, do you feel as if social media reflects society? No, of course not. No, absolutely not. Um, and in fact, I started my podcast on Wednesday. We do a subscriber only podcast on Wednesdays by telling people, if you haven't joined Twitter, don't do it. It doesn't help with anything. I mean, we're kind of, I'm kind of stuck on it because of my job. Um, no, it's not a reflection of yeah. society in the you, slightest. Is it a form of journalism? Yes, um, to a certain extent. Journalists do take whatever they see on mm-hmm. Twitter and right. I think that if you've got media. well, if you've got the president of the United States who's speaking directly to the American people on Twitter, that's a, you know that's just as good as words coming out of his mouth. And so I think to to um, you know use social media as part of your reporting on a story is totally legitimate. And I think Twitter is a really great way to get breaking news out there. That kind of became the immediate, like, put it on Twitter, and then you broke the story, and then kind of get the story ready and put it online. So I think Twitter has a lot of uses that are productive, but I think it's been overshadowed, really, by just the vitriol, the half-truths, the the abbreviated context. Um, So, yeah, it's not... I mean, like, look how Jonathan Cho is using Twitter, 
Very effectively. I mean, I think Jonathan Cho single-handedly ended that homelessness complex in in the CID. Absolutely, and that's one of the things I was going to ask. Yeah, it's the the CID mega complex. Yeah, and we had Cho on here a couple podcasts ago. Um, I I hated Jonathan Cho. Oh, please do tell. Because I think and he knows this. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! I can't believe I missed that podcast because I've watched some of yours, but I didn't catch that one. Okay, so. you know, because I th- he was part of that corporate local media agenda to a degree. And, you know, I, as you know, the mob came to my house, mm-hmm. and about 85 of them protesting. And Joe was the only one who did a news coverage on it and went to my neighborhood and started talking to my neighbors. I'm oh. like, all right, now you're making it personal. Yeah. So I stopped working with him. Um, okay. But he and I uh, developed a relationship post and... I think he's one of the best journalists out of the, out there. The and thing, so I, I have a lot of admiration for him now. Yeah. So I, I switched because it yeah. became less personal about me. Mm-hmm. And I could see in the conversation we had earlier, there's a role that journalists play. Yeah. Right? You have to just get out get it out there. Regardless of your personal bias, that's what makes you a professional journalist. Right. Right? So it, I try to remove my... Uh, biased of my observation of those tactics yeah. to see that, that it's just a job. Right. Well, and also there's a line between, there's a difference between liking a reporter and respecting a reporter. Mm-hmm. I don't really know that anyone in a position like yours should like a reporter, but even if they do negative stories or they do hard stories, you can still respect them. I mean, Absolutely. your officers have done some things that I've blasted them for, and I won't call anybody out sure. specifically, but there was, you know, a truck bush incident that I wasn't too fond of. Um, oh, yeah. and, and there have been other things over the years. And so, because I believe, you know, that officers should be held to the highest possible standard that we can hold them to. They have the power of life and death over people. But there's a difference between vilifying them wholesale and expecting them to be held accountable. And so with journalists like Jonathan Cho, you know, I think you can dislike him but still respect him and still admire like his – I mean, don't get me wrong. He is an acquired taste. He has a very in-your-face style that is off-putting for a lot of people. Sure it is. Um, But, you know, I've become close with Jonathan Cho since he left and, we, you know, we talk often and – um, I've had him on the podcast several times, but I don't see how anyone can look at what he's putting out, the actual content he's putting out, and claim that he's not a journalist. It's spot on. It's and I think insane. Your t- I think your takeaway with he had a he's single. I don't want to say single handedly, but he had a profound impact on getting that mega complex out of the CID. Where he was smart, he went yeah. right into the Asian community, right. connected with the elders, talked with community members there. And to me, it's so stunning that you have a politician Dow Constantine yeah who wouldn't engage in dialogue and then Cho captures it and shows the utter hypocrisy and and now what's happened Dow has to walk it all back yeah and that's pure journalism that is I mean and that's what it's all about and Jonathan wasn't advocating for the homelessness complex to be to be you know have to have the kibosh put on it he was asking Dow Constantine and his staff, why not? This is their concern. They'd feel like they weren't consulted. That's the job of a journalist. And, you know, one of the other things, one of my favorite quotes of stuff that Jonathan got down there is from um, an Asian American elder who are like, they want to come here and do photo ops and use us, you know, the Asian American community try to get elected. And then when we have a real concern, where are they? They're gone. They're nowhere. And so, you know, there's a couple things on this I just have to touch on. Go. You have Jonathan Cho, who's an Asian American journalist, raising 
awareness for concerns of Seattle's Asian American community, a community we're supposed to believe that the progressives in the city care deeply about. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Cho is vilified every single step of the way. He's at a press conference, tries to ask about it politely. Dow Constantine runs out of the room. Jonathan Cho chases him. Dow Constantine calls him not a journalist and flees down a private elevator. That's stunning. It's stunning. And then they block him from coming into this press tour. And when they block him, they say, you were supposed to RSVP 24 hours ago. And he says, you didn't send me the press release to RSVP. And so he's blocked from going into this, all for trying to communicate the concerns of the Asian American community, a community that people like Dow Constantine claim to care about. Doing his job. It's insane to me. And then, to top it all off, cherry on the top of the cake. Is that the phrase? Cherry on the top of the Sunday? Well, I'll I, take I, a I like cherry old on fashions. Anything. I'll do a cherry, <laughs> cherry in the old, in the fashion. old fashion. Tammy Morales, Councilwoman Tammy Morales, who's up for re-election next year, she puts out this statement. She... They were holding signs in the Chinatown International District with her face with a big red X around it, saying, not welcome here. These are her constituents. She wasn't listening to them either. And then when Dow Constantine walks back the homelessness complex, Tammy Morales comes out with this woke word-laden press release saying that, you know, she understands that the community has concerns. She does wish the homelessness complex could proceed, but she understands they had concerns. And then she has the audacity to blame Jonathan Cho for co-opting organic neighborhood resistance. Councilwoman, you wouldn't even, you weren't there listening to them. Right. So you're going to blame the Asian American journalist who was the only one who'd go down there and listen to them because you wouldn't as their council member. The gas, the level of gaslighting. It's incredible. It is extraordinary. And I think the fact that you don't have mainstream journalists who are willing to look at that and say, wait a second, councilwoman, they're mad at you. Right. How where, are you now pointing you? the finger at Jonathan Cho? And the other thing is, and I have come out no holds bar against the mainstream media. I am like persona non grata with the mainstream media now because their lack of any sort of pushback against what Dow Constantine is doing to Jonathan Cho mm-hmm. is dangerous. I mean, to think that you wouldn't see the slippery slope of Dow Constantine deeming this person a journalist and that person not, and saying, you're not allowed at these press events. I'm not going to answer your questions. If that were a Republican elected official doing that to some alt blogger, every outlet in the city would report on it. Come after him. You can't have politicians. Now, do I believe that media availabilities have to be free-for-alls? No, I don't want a bunch of citizens in there with their cell phones just screaming. It's counterproductive to what journalists are there to do, which is gather information Mm -hmm. to the public. But Jonathan Cho, by any measure is a journalist. He's working as a fellow for, yes, Discovery Institute, but an arm of them that's specifically aimed at homelessness content. So I have spoken up for Jonathan Cho every step of the way. And by the way, when the media was kept out of a public safety meeting in Greenwood the other day, I don't know if you saw that. It was wild. They just shut the media out. You know who they shut out? KUOW, King 5. Public Radio. King 5. They shut out mainstream outlets, some of the furthest to the left outlets in the city. And you know what I did? I stood up for them immediately. Because to me, it doesn't matter if you're right, if you're the stranger or if you're Jonathan Cho. And that's, that's the slippery slope I'm talking about, mm-hmm. is if you think that you can ignore what's happening to Jonathan Cho and that ultimately it won't have some sort of impact on you, you are fooling yourself. And it's so disappointing to me to see the media take sides like that. Similarly to 
what they did to us when our crew got mobbed at shop. Absolutely. And, you know, Jonathan, you know, I've been in conversation with Jonathan and Jonathan brought me into this situation with the CID and Mm -hmm. I went to that rally, walked to city hall. Um, And to your point, there's no other media outlet that's highlighting what Dow did here. The fact that you do not communicate with just a historic community in the city that I think is the pulse of the city to a degree. Um, is stunning. And so, you know, we, we put this out yesterday and we'll put a link in the description. It's about a minute video, but um, you know, it just throwing some shade at Dow. We'll go through just a minute. I like the music. It's basically just highlighting Dow using some of the media coverage in terms of headlines about the protests but more so the fact that the CID did their job along with Cho and ultimately got this thing shut down. And I think that's that's the story. Well, this is a guy... had to walk it back. This is a guy who wants to be governor. Yeah, it's... It, it, it's if not for any other reason, you want to be governor someday, it's very clear. The media should make him justify that. And they should have stood up for Jonathan Cho in that room and said, hey, no, that's a legitimate question he's asking. Answer it. But of course they're not going to. But they don't want to cover for him because they're trying. To, are they trying to protect just the mainstream media's position and not go to independent journalists like Cho? No, because they don't like him. Because they think he's on the right. That's all it is. It's political. Got it. Because there are a ton of our media ecosystem in Seattle has been always been robust. It has always included independent journalists, mm-hmm. bloggers, podcasters, the stranger, and we've all that's been normal. It's not like we have some system where it's only the main TV reporters sure. that are in the room in the Seattle Times. It's always been robust. So if their issue was they don't want to lose their their standing, their position, the two people who were in that room, that press conference where Dow fled down an elevator, were Erica Barnett and Omari Salisbury, two independent journalists. And so they should know better than anyone the See, position. I did not know that. Two independent journalists who, no who share their opinion and who have opinions on the left. But they, they, they label John as not a journalist. John right. is not a journalist. And Jonathan is the one who is called not a journalist. And he's it's sitting amazing. in the room with those two people. And I don't have any problem That's with Omari Salisbury context. has done some good work. Yeah, he does. And even Erica Barnett. For as much as she and I beef, she has some well-researched articles. I don't agree with the leaning of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I consider her a journalist. And so it's... Um, it's wild to me. I also know quickly, just so I'm not, my words aren't misconstrued on the homelessness uh, complex. I have toured that Salvation Army facility. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful model for what we should be doing for homeless individuals who are finally willing to take that step into sobriety, into you know some sort of housing. We have to put a shelter somewhere. We have to have shelter space somewhere. We need more shelter space in the city. So I don't think there's people twisting this as, you know, the NIMBYs just don't want to shelter anywhere. That was never the argument of the CID. They just wanted to have a voice. A voice. That was that was the problem. They wanted to know that the police department and the county had a plan for what would be probably well, an increase in criminal activity. In that you are correct to saying that because the data shows that. Well, they're, they're, exactly. And even Andrew Lewis, even Councilman Andrew Lewis has acknowledged the data that shows that, I think it was in 2021 or 2020, of all the shootings in the city, mm-hmm. of all the reasons people get shot, domestic violence, gang violence, the largest percentage had some sort of tie to homelessness. Homeless Sometimes the homeless, encamp- homeless individuals were a victim, 
but you can't deny the tie. Right. And so it's a reasonable concern and it's reasonable to and want input. You were absolutely correct. And we don't have the resources right now. We've been defunded. So yeah. we got 500 people gone and counting. Uh, it's a serious problem. Is it 500 now? It's close to 500. I wow. always say 500 because that's a huge, huge number. But it's, we're literally probably, we put it out every, every week with the public safety index that we put out there, but we're close to 500. Wow. And the fact that we have over 300 now that are eligible, el- eligible to retire. That's terrifying. It, it's terrifying. What's the incentive what to do you stay? Do? You know? Well, and, th- and that's it. What's the incentive? And we're, right. you know, we're like, when we have council members like Sawan always calling us right wing people and, you know, she, I, I use her as an example. She's, she's in the news now where somebody was tragically, and I think it's a problem, throwing human feces in her yard. Yeah, that's awful. Right? Yeah, like, who does that? That's, I mean, first of all, that's just gross. But second, that's awful. But, but she goes to the media and says, you know, um, that we didn't do the investigation. So I've got some inside knowledge, but obviously I can't share. <laughs> and it's like, who, right? But who we actually <laughs> did investigate it. Like, went above and beyond. Yeah. That's the words that I got. Above and beyond to look into this. Right. But when you're dealing with assaults, robberies, rapes, right. crimes out of control, are we going to put the re- do we have the resources to put somebody on on this case 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And because would you, you get a normal human person? Pooping. Exactly, that's the whole point. But she continues to malign and besmirch us. Why do you think people leave this city as police officers? What, what incentive is it? Because we're no longer the highest paid. Who right? is Port of Seattle? Uh, geez, I think locally now. I think it's probably Kent. I think. Kent? Kent's I gotta look paying at them higher than Seattle. Well, they're, I gotta they're talk to Mayor Dana Ralph and see where they're getting that money from. Oh, I know that Clark County just uh, did a twenty-five percent four-year contract. They were oh. they weren't even without a contract. King County, uh, obviously, I think the council there still needs to vote on it, but their membership overwhelmingly approved it. They're getting twenty percent for three years. But my, my point is, the homeless encampments, the crime is out of control there. I don't see an end to this, and that, I think it's why Dow is unwilling to face the music when it comes to the, the the threat towards the money base, which is the homeless industrial complex. And then why is it local media covering what he's doing and not engaging with community to put a mega complex in there? Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy to me. It, it is crazy. It's crazy. And a couple of things, you know, in the Sawant, it, it, her supporters should even be angered by that. You know, she wanted to dismantle the police, not just defund, dismantle. And now she's asking for special treatment from the police and I think that her case should be investigated the same when somebody was sending her awful threats sure. um, to her email. Absolutely. But she needs to realize that, you know, because in that case, that was terrifying, I think, for her and her family. And I, I feel terrible for them. But she needs to realize she's robbing that same level of justice from other victims of crimes because of her words and her actions. Lisa Herbold with the RV that came into her house and she's calling up, what, Carmen Best at the time? Like, uh, can, what do can I you do? you handle this? It's like, you're the one who wanted to defund the police. But, you know, it goes to this, I think, larger and the elections in 2023 and, mm-hmm. and thank god right because you're going to have someone like lisa herbold who ran in 2019 saying at your guys's form that she wanted to hire more police officers turned around six months later said we're going to defund by 50 percent came out two months after that and said oh we were wrong and now in 2023 leading up to that election she's talking about helping bruce harrell hire more officers it is it's incredible it's mind-numbing it's spinning and if the media doesn't pin her to that narrative they're abdicating their duties 100%. 100% agree it's with you. It's insane. And I'll say about the defunding thing. Whenever I bring up police defunding, you know, the little t- Twitter troll activists are like, well, they didn't actually follow through with defunding. I mean, they did cut some, but they didn't do 50%. And I said, but you don't understand. It's defunding via their words. Why would anyone work for a boss that hates them? 
Why would anyone work for a city council that openly hates them? Nobody would tolerate that environment. And you're talking about now, oh, throwing, what is it, $10,000 at them to stay or whatever. Their lives and their dignity and their pride aren't worth 10000 or exactly. even $20,000 or $30,000. It's like, why would any of them stay? You're giving them no incentive. You have city council members who, depending on the flavor of the month, either vilify them or love them. And those are your bosses. You look at that as any person in any position. If you worked at a freaking coffee shop and you had a boss that was calling you, you know, racist or, you know, calling for your, your, your accountability for honest mistakes, you wouldn't stay there. That's insane to me. So I just don't, you know, they did defund. They defunded via decimation, via their words. Yeah, you said it better than I could ever say it. So thank you for that. Uh, last point. Yes. Who are, two more points, who are the moderate thought leaders left in Seattle? Are there any? Well, us. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think Bruce Harrell is, is on the right path. I think he's saying the right things. Mm-hmm. I think he has stopped caring what fringe individuals fringe want him to say. do. Yeah. I mean, what the words that were leaked um, of what he said to, I think it was East Precinct officers in a roll call. Or was it West? It was West, West Precinct. Precinct. Yeah. Um, you know, and then he didn't deny them. <laughs> so I think he has what it takes to, and, and I think he's given more leeway as a black man and as someone who has grown up in the community and who has great community ties. I think he has a little more leeway to reject outright those angry white 30 people who show up at council meetings and scream and yell. Um, So I think Bruce Harrell is one of them. Um, Gosh, in the media, I think the Seattle Times Ed Board has had its moments of clarity. Uh, which I've appreciated. It's interesting because, um, you know, we, we, in, we were the first to endorse Jim Farrell. We had a press conference, yeah. invited media, and then we just did another press conference mid-September. Um, now the Times is endorsing yeah, Farrell. Yeah, he, he got the Times so endorsement. So it's like, we're, like you're talking about public safety. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some shift, there's alignment here yeah. in terms of the conversation wrapped around public safety. Yeah. Um, and I wish there was just a couple more in the mainstream media reporters who I really felt like understood who I really felt like were willing to I just I can't think of any in the wow. mainstream can you King uh, Cairo well, Como I like no. Hannah Kim I think um are you not giving I like Hannah Kim at Fox 13 I would agree with you there I, I like Hannah I've always known her she was my seatmate I've always known her to be straightforward and she asked tough she grilled Nicole Thomas Kennedy about her That's tweets weird. and I loved it so she okay. Hannah's good Okay. Yeah. But there's been such a rollover of staff, too. Yeah, it's a bunch of young people, people. don't know the city. So I think, you know who the moderate thought leaders are? People who are in the city, working hard, who want to be safe. Business leaders like Olga Sagan with Proshki Proshki, who has put herself out there to speak up and say something and been vilified as a result. I think those are the thought leaders, the people who are finally starting to say, you know what, come what may, Angry Twitter people be damned. I'm going to say something because I love the city Perfect. and I want it to be better. One, if you could, uh, if there's one thing that Spog could do better, what, what what would it be in terms of policing in general, communication? What would it be? Because, well, I think communication's always always a key. The more communication, mm-hmm. the better. Um, from my perspective, you know, it's hard to say without knowing what cases you guys have going on. I mean. I tend to not be a fan, and I think this is probably out of your control. Maybe you can correct me on where things are at. I tend to not be a fan of uh, 
firings being reversed in some cases. I know there's been some of those um, in instances where I just felt like they should not have been reversed, but that's, you know, I think there's some legalese involved there that I might not understand, but um, no, I mean, I think that you guys have, you have taken a very strong position. We have, we've been um, very outspoken. And, and honestly, it's a tough position to be in because we have to try to get a contract and we have to have the council vote on it. Right. Well, so it's like, here, how do you balance that? Here's the thing. They're going to hate you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that's what you kind of have to realize this, this, I've been to this building um, many times over the years. I've had uh, conversations with many people who have sat in your position. Sure. And, and all of them have been about this this fight with the city and this vilification. And, um, and you're never going to get away from that. So you have to decide the same with everyone who's watching and listening. You have to decide, are you going to sit back and take it? Or are you going to just move forward and stand up for what you, you believe go. in. I like that. Uh, well, you're doing great, phenomenal work. I were, were, you know, you covered the reform laws having to be reformed themselves. And, and that's a moderate stance to have. Yeah. Um, and just, I got a lot of respect for you and I Thank appreciate you. your time. Um, you've always been fair. And um, how can people find you? How can they support you? Oh, I like this question. So if you want to support the podcast, because we are people powered, even though on the internet, people say we're funded by right wing dark money, we're funded by subscribers who pay $5 a month to uh, watch it or listen to the podcast. We do three podcasts a week. Three a week. That's three a lot a week, of content. And one of them is exclusive to subscribers on Wednesdays. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the bonus. And I also do a live Q&A uh, with subscribers every single month. So if you want to subscribe, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash undivided. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash undivided. Well, perfect. Brandy Cruz, thanks so much for oh, being here. It was great to be here. Pleasure. And, uh, hey, if you let's support Brandy, please. Um, help her out because she is absolutely leading with courage and she's willing to put her bottom line on the line in terms of uh, the money and uh, speaking out for truth, moderate conversations that are full of common sense discussion. And again, I, I can't thank you enough for what you've done. Um, you've, you've allowed me to critically think myself over the years and um, I learned from you. So if we can all just learn with each other and then we can all just continue to hold the line and get back to uh, common sense society conversations. I right? like it. Thanks, Brandy. Yep. Take care, everybody. That was great.